All right, are we ready to dial in? I mean, ready? Yes, I guess. <laughs> what, what's our saying? What do we say to ourselves? Oh, anxiety. There is no room for you here. Anxiety. There is no room for you here. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to talk to one of our favorite actors, the fabulous Deachin Lockman, about identifying pain points. And then we're going to discuss the psychology of documents. Sounds intriguing, doesn't it? Mm. Then we have a Hollywood hack that's perfect for flu season. And the hot spot that is Hugo's yielded yet another celebrity sighting. But first, a quick update. Yes, we wanted to remind everyone that our friend Nichelle's show, Truth Be Told, is available now on Apple Plus TV. Yay! It premiered December 6th. We talked all about the show with Nichelle in last week's episode, number 134. And just to remind everyone, it stars Octavia Spencer, Aaron Paul, and Lizzie Kaplan, and it is so good. So good. And the first two episodes are in front of a paywall, which is very cool. So you can see it and decide if you want to dive into Apple Plus, which, of course, I did. I love my Roku, so I also want to tell everyone, if you don't know, Apple TV Plus is available on your Roku. It's also on Amazon Prime and Samsung as well. So you can watch it in so many ways. Yeah, so. Congratulations, Nichelle. Okay, Sarah, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk 7, which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's pain points. Yes. So a couple months ago, I was talking to Deach and Lockman about auditions mm. and how horrible they are for <laughs> everyone involved, which is something we discuss frequently. And Deach is an amazing actor. We've worked with her a couple times. We worked with her on Dollhouse and on The 100, but she's been in so many great shows. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Last Ship, Altered Carbon, Animal Kingdom. She's one of the loveliest people we've ever worked with, and she had this brilliant insight about pain points. Yes, yeah, so we asked her to come on and discuss how she identified her audition pain point, which was going physically into auditions, and what she did about it. Deechin, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be here talking to you guys. It feels like it's been forever. I know. I know. So let's just dive into what a pain point is. Can you explain that? Right. Well, this was a conversation I was having with Enver many years ago now, I guess maybe six years ago or five. And he was talking about some conversation he was having with his brother who's like very much into life hacking and all that sort of stuff. And let me just interject. You mean Enver Jokai, who was an um, actor also on Dollhouse. That's correct. He's amazing. Yes. yes. He is wonderful. And he's, you know, that show was incredible because not only did I get to work with, you know, the most incredible people, but, you know, those relationships just kept going on and, and, you know, be on the show. And because of Enver, I met my husband and, you know, now I have a family. So <laughs> he's a big part of why my life is 
the way it is today. So Enver and I were living in the same building for probably about six years and uh, we would help each other a lot with running lines and auditions and, you know, we were basically like family. So he came in one day talking about pain points and removing pain points from your life. And at that point, you know, I love acting. I love everything about it you know, actually doing the work, but it was getting a little bit trickier, especially the auditioning process is very hard on parents, young parents, you know, and I was feeling a little bit low because I, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I realized that it wasn't that I didn't enjoy acting. I just, I didn't enjoy getting ready head to toe. For girls, it's always much more complex because you have to come camera ready and there's a lot more to do, your hair and your makeup and you have to pick the right outfit and there's so many options. And then you have to get a babysitter and, you know, that part of it was becoming a real challenge and it was, I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bath water and I realized that the only thing I really struggled with was getting a babysitter, getting, you know, head to toe ready and then going and realizing that I was just like most of the time just an option to Mm. show to the producers. It wasn't like there was already interest. It was just like, well, these are the girls we're seeing between this age and that age and they, you know, we're just getting our sort of foundation to show the producers. And I realized that with technology now, at that part of the process, you don't really need to, you know, invest in getting a babysitter and driving and parking and getting mm-hmm. ready head to toe because we have all this amazing technology. I mean, even the fact that we're speaking to each other now with a mic plugged into a computer, why not take advantage of that? So I'm not saying that uh, I don't enjoy going in the room. I just realized that my pain point with the whole process of acting and just the business of it was going in and and dealing with all of the logistical things with having a baby when it was just very early in the process. Right, because very often when you're first going in, and I should say auditions are a pain point for writers and producers as well, because so often in those early stages, someone will walk in and you know they're not right, but you still have to sit there Uh for Mm. five minutes, 10 minutes. They still have to deliver this full performance and do all of the prep work that comes with that. And you just know literally sometimes in five seconds, oh, this is not going to work out. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a lot so of it's, work. Yeah, it's interesting for on everyone. both sides. It can be a pain point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just one funny thing in Dollhouse. Remember, we were in an audition and um, there was an earthquake. <laughs> yes. And we and oh Joss God. Whedon and the actor all ended up under the conference room table. So that that was definitely a pain point audition. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Did they end up getting the job? They did not, no. sadly. Uh, <laughs> they should have. Yeah. Wow. But yes, so you realize this is a pain point. And then now when people say, oh, do you want to audition for this? Do you say, yes, I'll send it in on tape? Or how does that happen? You just sort of state that's what you're going to do? It's a huge struggle. I think that 
with any career earlier on, you don't have as much say as to how the, sorry, I should turn that off, as to how the process goes. But earlier on in your career, you're usually not with the child. You know, most Mm -hmm. people start their careers before they have families. And, and so going in the room is like, it's, it's part of it. And you build your relationships with the casting directors and, and that's important. Um, to a degree, because mm-hmm. uh, I will say there are a lot of Aussies and Brits who book off tape who have no relationship <laughs> with anybody on this side of the aisle. So I, I started going in the room, and when I started realizing that I I couldn't keep doing this and be happy, mm. and if I kept pushing myself to go in the room when I really didn't want to because I knew it was just an option for the producers that I wouldn't be able to keep being an actor. And it took a few years before I convinced my representation that please just let me tape for the initial audition. I got a lot of resistance and a lot of actors get a lot of resistance from their reps when they say, listen, can I just tape it? They, reps always want you to go in the room, but they've never done an audition and they've never been where you guys are, where you're sitting in a room and, you know, 10, 15 people come in, maybe more on a day and the right person hasn't walked in yet and you've had to sit through people's reads from beginning to end so for them they don't understand what it's like on your side and they don't understand Mm -hmm. process wise what it is on our side so this is a conversation that I have with a lot of actors because we still get met with a lot of resistance Mm. with representation about whether to go in the room or not one thing that's interesting to me about it is you obviously have a lot more control if you're taping it yourself because you can you first of all the nerves i'm sure are less for people who do get nervous auditioning not everyone does but most but people do most people do and you can just redo the take if you don't like it so it feels like it actually ups your chances of delivering a great audition. And from a producer point of view, we're getting what's closer to what you would actually do on the day. Yeah. I mean, I feel after having a few conversations with people on your side that you would probably prefer to see tapes. And then when there is someone who you see and you're like, that's the part, like that's the person. Then going into the room knowing that the actor is in the ballpark of what you Mm -hmm. wanted, the actor knows that there's more interest from your side and then you Mm -hmm. can go and play with the material and, you know, give notes and it can be like a collaboration. Whereas that first initial audition, it's just a shot in the dark for everybody. Right. They're called a cattle call for a reason. I mean, they really can be just so overwhelming and yeah. and feel, I would imagine, as an actor, so pointless. If you walk in and see all of these people there, that would crush my soul. Yeah. I wouldn't oh like rocking gosh. in for a writing job and seeing 30 other writers in the lobby. That what? happened no. to us one time in our career. Um, and I still remember it. <laughs> I do, too. I know exactly what you mean. It's awful. <laughs> It, it is awful and it's it's hilarious and it's, you know, to some degree it's part of the, the story of being an actor. But I think that now 
we need, especially I think for parents, whether yeah. you're a woman or a man, if you mm-hmm. have a young child, it, I really think that the business should be advocates for mm-hmm. uh, people who are coming in and giving their time, you know, knowing that it's most of the time going nowhere to give them the opportunity to make it a bit easier on them and and saying, you know what, like if you want to come in the room, that's great. If you want to self-tape, you know, we're happy to accept self-tapes because, you know, you'll know in the first 30 seconds whether someone's right or not. And I'd much rather someone just skip my audition mm-hmm. <laughs> than be in the room knowing that there's no interest in having to get through two right. more scenes. And lest people think also that your self-tapes are just sort of like iPhone video in front of a wall, you actually have like an amazing setup for self-tapes. Yes. Well, you know, I I don't understand why people wouldn't want to self-tape. Some, some of the people I've spoken to are like, oh, I love going in the room. But, you know, a lot of them don't have kids. Because I've been such a huge advocate for it, you know, I got a Canon camera and uh, my husband bought um, a shotgun mic. I don't know what the mic is called or what brand it is, but we made the image and the sound a priority. Mm. So, and the lighting. Now, I don't know. Here's a question for you guys. Does it make a difference? Oh, I think it does. Yeah. It's funny because we talk about the psychology of documents, just about, you know, how a document looks, but also how a tape looks is going to impact how we receive it. So the better it looks, the more professional it's just going to seem off the bat and the a better impression we're going to have. Well, and the more you can sort of focus on the performance. Right. Not on, the oh, lighting. it's so dark and, yeah. you know, yeah. And also it just shows that you're a professional and you know mm-hmm. what you're doing, you know, which is always helpful. Right. Well, that that makes me feel good because we've, you know, we've been fine tuning uh, self-tapes for the last five years. You know, since Matilda, my daughter, who's going to be five in May, you know, it's been imperative. And I remember the two auditions that threw me over the edge where I basically told my reps, like, <laughs> unless there's serious interest, I'm, I'm self-taping. One was where I had squeezed into the smallest outfit I could fit into because I put on <laughs> 75 pounds. And my, you know, I was pumping And my breasts were like leaking and I dragged myself to this audition in the valley and I I was not fitting into my clothes. My breasts were leaking. I'd missed like two pumps because of because she she wouldn't latch. So the only way I could give her milk was to pump really, really regularly. And I missed two pumps. I was just feeling so bloated still. And from that day, my milk production just went like down and mm. I had to, I couldn't give her milk anymore because I'd missed the pumps and I, maybe the stress or something. And then two weeks later, I went to another audition where I had to wait for two and a half hours. Oh my gosh. And that was, that's okay. I mean, it happens, right? But it just didn't fit into my life. Uh So I, instead of complaining about it, I was like, I have the solution. I have the solution to this. And it's just embracing the technology that I've been using, but giving myself 
some boundaries in terms of like when I will actually walk into the room. Well, Deachin, I love that you, one, identified this pain point and that this pain point and that you're advocating for yourself. And I think we all should sort of take your lesson, even if we're not going in and doing auditions, we should all recognize pain points in our lives and do what we can to advocate for ourselves and removing those pain points. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with us about this today. Thanks. Thank Jen. you. Thanks so much for having you. me. <laughs> you too. Next up, the psychology of documents. Weirdly, this is one of our favorite topics. But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, it's time for our segment, The Craft and Fane, about the craft of writing. Some people think it's an art. We think it's a craft. And today we're talking about the psychology of documents. Yes. So what do we mean by this? We mean how you feel when you look at a document, whether it's a script or a brief or a book or a post-it note. How a document looks on a fundamental level impacts how we feel about it, and we're not even aware of it most of the time. Yeah, especially, Sarah, in a professional context, how a document looks is critical. Yeah. We're going to talk mostly about scripts for obvious reasons, but this also applies to grant proposals, to briefs, to reports, basically to anything you're handing in to anybody. Yes. Okay, so to start with, the appearance of a document instantly tells people if you're a professional or not. It tells people whether they should take you seriously. Yes. If we see a script in the wrong font or the wrong format, we instantly do not take the person seriously. It gives us a reason just to say no right off the bat. And one thing to remember is everybody's always looking for a reason to say no. We'll take any reason we can come up with. So, um, and I'm not even going to go into typos, but, you know. But it, that's part of the psychology Well, that's of true. It Absolutely. Is. Yeah. And length is critical. Yes. When we're looking at a script, there are so many things that we expect to see. And one of the things we do is flip straight to the back mm-hmm. and see how long it is. Yeah. And if it's a network script, it really should be... I mean, ideally, 54 to 56 pages. Um, Sometimes they're even shorter than that. Um, If a network script is 60 pages, we know right off the bat it's way too long. In terms of what we will sort of accept, you know, like if we're looking at a script, what makes us, 
what length would you say makes us go, okay, this person doesn't know what they're doing? Well, I would say 62 is my max. Because here's the thing, cable scripts can be longer. So if you're writing a spec, I'm a lot more, I give a lot more leeway. And I would maybe go up to 63. At 63, 63. I would be like, that is my outside limit, and I would be looking at other things as well. I'm reminded, Sarah, of the time you and I put together a pilot we were writing, and it was (laughs) 75. That was a dark, dark day. A dark day. And then also where act breaks fall. Like, we'll flip through a script and see where act breaks fall, because we can instantly tell from the document whether you understand structure or not. Yes. If you have an eight-page first act, and again, we're talking about network dramas, or really any drama, in that case. But if you have an eight-page first act, we just immediately dismiss you because you don't understand structure. Yeah. It sounds harsh, but it's the truth. It is. Now, there's also how it just looks on the page. And I'm sure this is true for all sorts of reports. If there's too much density on the page, it's just a major turnoff. This isn't because we think you're unprofessional. It's just because nobody wants to dive into this dense, dense material. And that can apply to both prose and dialogue. Oh, yes. Like if you have giant chunks of just prose on a page, yes. it just makes people feel oppressed. Yeah, I have to say, to me, this was sort of one of the lessons of TV writing that took a few years for me especially to learn. I feel like you had a better sense of that. Is just pare back, pare yeah. back, pare back. And at a certain point, just start a new paragraph. Like, people well, just need else. the break. Yes, like, absolutely. Mentally. The visual break. Yeah. But it's true, and this is just a trick of writing a script. If you scan it and it just seems like there's too much dialogue, like in a chunk, just go back. And thus, yeah. you're writing a speech, and that's okay. You can write a speech. Right. Like in a script that we're working on now, one of the characters has a fantastic speech. It's like a full page, right? Yeah, it's pretty long. But that, it's a character-defining thing. Right. And it, we're really playing well, up the character Well, it's meant to be a that. speech. Yes. It's not meant to be dialogue. It's meant to be a speech. If you're trying to write back and forth, people usually talk back and forth more quickly. And when you look at the document, you want it to look like that. Yeah. Since we're talking about the psychology of documents. Exactly. <laughs> and then length is critical on a very practical level with scripts. There's how the reader perceives it and how to kind of make your reader the most receptive so that your ideas can really get across to the reader. There's that. Right. Because we were talking about sort of the um, writer side of it, but there is the production side of that psychology of documents. Yes. So on TV shows, there's actually a job that centers in a big way around the psychology of documents. Yes. And that is the script coordinator's job. There are other elements of the job as well. But a big part of it is looking through the script and making sure that it's properly formatted. Yes. And dealing with things like typos, making it look like a professional document. Yes. One thing that we have dealt with repeatedly as showrunners is scripts that we turn in at a certain length. Yes. Let's say say, 55 pages. Let's say. (laughs) And you give it to the script coordinator to kind of go through the process of formatting it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then it can come back and a script can go from 55 to 62 pages. Yeah. And you're like, what happened? And they say, oh, well, I, you know, I had to 
put a space here and it added a page because that happens. It does. And we know from experience that production, even though the actual length hasn't changed, there isn't more to shoot. They feel there's more to shoot. Yes. The psychology of documents is such that when you look at that last page, if it says 61, you're You're screwed. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> and so what we always say to script coordinators is if something bumps down to another page, come get us. Do not send it out. We do not want this document going out at 56 if we think it's 55. We had a script coordinator who just, for whatever reason, wouldn't embrace that philosophy. And we ended up having to fire this person. Yeah, we ended up firing him. It yeah. was some other things as well, but it's like it's very serious because executives get it. Oh, and it they leads think to phone calls and yeah. meetings and crises about the budget, even yes. though, again, there isn't actually more to shoot. Right. On the production end, a production team, when they get a 60-page script or a 62-page script, yeah. suddenly you have a line producer who's absolutely panicked versus a 56-page script when it's just a formatting thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, because ultimately, especially when you're writing things that are going to get produced, scripts are not just an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. They're tactile, they're visual, and the experience of the document has an impact on how the material is received, and they all work together. Yes. From little stuff like don't let a double dash fall onto the next line by itself. That can drive us mad. Insane. Or a word just by itself on a line sometimes. To big stuff like making a professional script look like a professional script. Liz, I was thinking about this poem by E.E. E. Cummings. It's called, I honestly don't even know how to say the title. It's the word loneliness and then in a parenthetical after the L is a leaf falls. So Mm -hmm. however you want to say that title. But that is the whole poem. And it's a perfect example of the psychology of documents. I think I read the poem in college Mm. and it made such an impact on me that I still remember it. So we'll put a link to it on our Happier in Hollywood website in the show notes. It's worth looking up this poem by E.E. Cummings. It's literally everything that we're talking about wrapped up in one beautiful poem. That's why E.E. Cummings is E.E. Cummings. (laughs) Exactly. Next up, a Hollywood hack for anyone who has to talk a lot. That includes us. Or sing. Or who just has a sore throat. But first, this break. So let us know if you are in a profession where the psychology of documents is critically important like it is for us. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's... I need this. You need some. (laughs) It's time for this week's Hollywood hack, throat coat. Throat coat is a T and it's amazing. Our executive producer, Mr. Chuck Reed, introduced us to this. Yes. Chuck, can you can you tell our listeners about Throat Coat? Sure. It's great for singers. I keep it in the studio for whenever we're doing vocal sessions. And it uh, works for voiceover sessions, too, or podcast sessions. <laughs> yes, which we discovered because you and I at one point both had froggy throats, and Chuck kept saying, have some throat coat, have some throat coat. And we finally did And it made a big difference. Yes, a little throat coat with some honey. So then I took it on tour when Gretchen and I were doing Happier Live. I brought throat coat with me. And thank goodness I did because Gretchen almost lost her voice at one point. She had a really bad cold. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Gretchen loses her voice 
were in trouble. So she was downing the throat coat. Throat coat um, saved the tour. It saved our tour. But <laughs> it really is, I don't know, it's just a good hack. Yeah, and it tastes good. Yes. Also. Yeah, it's nice. I use it if I just have a, you know, getting a cold or something. It just feels good on the throat. It makes, uh, just feels better. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to be a professional. No. <laughs> it's available at any drugstore. Yeah, and they sell it at the Toluca Lake mailbox store, which has become a vocal remedy super outlet. <laughs> Only in Los Angeles <laughs> does the mailbox store become a vocal remedy hotspot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and speaking of hotspots, who knew that Hugo's was going to be such a hotspot for celebrity sightings? Yes, it is time for our celebrity sighting of the week, and we had a <laughs> great one at Hugo's yes. yet again. We saw John Voigt. We went in for lunch, as we often do. And John Voigt was sitting there. If you don't know, John Voigt is Angelina Jolie's father. And we think he was with her brother, his yes. son. Um, but it was funny because I saw him. And then I was like, ooh, it's John Voigt at the table by the door. <laughs> and then Liz did the classic, like, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom yes. and, and wandered through the whole restaurant because she thought I meant the other door yes. looking for him. It made sense, <laughs> I have to say, because I was looking near the front door. Yes. But you were talking about the side door. But, yeah, I mean, John Voight is huge. He's been in everything from Gunsmoke to Deliverance to uh, Return to Lonesome Dove, Mission Impossible, Varsity Blues, 24. He's a, He was in Ray Donovan, for which he won an Emmy. Yeah. Um, I mean, John Boyd is like kind of Hollywood royalty. He is. So good in Ray Donovan. Yeah, and that's such a good show. Um, it's just crazy to me how many people we see at Hugo's. Yeah, well, and it's funny how many people we see at Hugo's because for our non-LA listeners, although the food at Hugo's is delicious, the one we go to is not in a fancy part of town. Not at all. And it's just a prime example of how truly unglamorous the industry is. I know, exactly. <laughs> oh, and that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thank you to Teach and Lockman for coming by today. You can find her on Instagram at Deach and Lockman. That's D I C. C-H-E-N-L-A-C-H-M-A-N. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, for easing our sore throats. And thanks to everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing from Whole30's Melissa Urban, which has its new season starting December 17th. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at S. Fain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. I realized we're like at a point now where we're getting rid of Christmas traditions. Like we had so many. You, well, you've done a good job then that you can pare back your Christmas traditions. <laughs> no, it was untenable. I don't think we have any. You can't go to Disney on Ice and go to Descanso Gardens and go to the Zoo Lights and go to the Tea Room. And like it's Violet was just like, okay, we don't need to do all of these things. <laughs> she put the kibosh on it. 
from the Onward Project.